So what were these films you were in? Oh, forget about it. Go on. Technically, it's what you call, uh, pornography. You're joking? No. So you've been going round town with a 12-inch mutton dagger hanging down your pants? Alright, Merry Christmas. Welcome to Revenge of the Drive-In. Obviously, using the random number generator here. We didn't get a Christmas movie, but that's fine because we got <laughs> a couple good movies anyways. We have the 2008 British bank heist thriller film The Bank Job starring Jason Statham of the Meg 2 fame. <laughs> and we have From Beyond starring Jeffrey Combs, Barbara Crampton. It's basically the same cast and crew as Reanimator, but it's different. And so I am your host, Patrick, and I am joined as usual by... Jim, hello everybody. Hello, Patrick. How's it going, buddy? Great. I, I liked these movies. This is uh, th- this is an awesome, just in terms of just, the, I really enjoyed both movies. I think this was just a great, great week we had watching these movies. I enjoyed yeah. them. I uh, have not seen The Bank Job in, like, forever. And I think I had only seen... Well, I think I had only seen both films once before. And that's weird that I had only seen From Beyond once because I've seen Reanimator like a dozen times. <laughs> and part of me actually likes From Beyond more than Reanimator, but we can get into that later. And we are starting with The Bank Job. I love how you said Jason Statham from The Meg 2. I mean, <laughs> you got to keep it uh, keep it modern for our... Uh, for our younger listeners who might not be familiar with Lock, Stock, and Two Smoky Barrels, and the Italian Job remake, and all the other stuff, yeah, that or he's like done. you know any Crank. movie that came out in the early two thousand, yeah, like Crank. Yeah, he um, was a pretty Death big Race. star. Or uh, this, you know, Death Race. <laughs> yeah, no, he was. Um, the Bank Job is like this is prime Jason Statham. Probably this is a, around the time he's as popular as he's ever been. Jason Statham was kind of like. Uh, what's his name? Irish actor. Who am I thinking of, Patrick? I'm Irish. Richard Irish. Harris. No. <laughs> Barry no, Fitzgerald. Irish. Irish Maureen O'Hara. Stop it. He played Michael Collins. Oh, Liam Neeson. Sure. Liam yeah, Neeson. I, I think that's Thank yeah. You. Now the difference is Liam Neeson was a respected actor who later in his career turned to action schlock. Yeah, whereas Jason, Jason Statham, Statham was kind of always doing. Yeah, schlock. he was kind of. Well, he he was and he wasn't. He, I mean. The early Guy Ritchie movies like Lockstock, I kind of view those kinds of movies as kind of the British Tarantino. There's There seems to be Pulp Fiction was ripped off a ton and a lot more blatantly than if you were to say Guy Ritchie kind of ripped off Tarantino a bit. And maybe he did. But yeah, maybe, I don't know, kind of there's kind of a Get Shorty influence, which itself I think was influenced by Pulp Fiction. So maybe it's Pulp Fiction by way of Get Shorty. But yeah, so those are like his first kind of movies, I think. And then it was all action slack from there on out. I, I want it, I'm tempted to say he's in Triple X, but no, that's uh, Vin Diesel. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, it's funny because around the same time that Liam Neeson did Taken, which was kind of the beginning of the old man action hero. Yeah. You had already had Jason Statham in a bunch of action leading roles, but he was kind of like middle aged man or like early 40s. He's normal age for action hero. Like uh, Harrison Ford is about that age in in the movie, in the Indiana Jones movies and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, you're right. Normal normal age. It's just you're you're you just can't get over the lack of hair. 
Yeah, I think that's it, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely it. He looks great like that. I mean, he's I mean, one. Yeah, he's one of the bald men in Hollywood. That he's not fully shaved like Vin Diesel. Mm-hmm. He just kind of lets it ride, and I think he looks <laughs> really cool like that. I mean, he's just a cool dude. He's a cool looking dude. He's got that cool accent. Yeah, I was tempted to say it's kind of a Cockney accent, but it turns out he's from nowhere near London. He's from the north or something yeah he's from the north so i don't i I guess it's not a cockney accent but i i maybe i'm thinking of there's cockney people all over those guy Ritchie movies i want to say so (laughs) it's a once in a lifetime opportunity terry we can't pass it up we are not bank robbers maybe that's why we could get away with it put everything in a bag and let's go Last night we're trying to home in on a three hundred thousand pound bank raid. Three hundred grand, more like three million. Holy shit! You know it is. Well, speaking of London, though, this movie does take place in London, but we begin this movie. This is 19- my old bank. Yeah, so this movie begins in nineteen seventy in the Caribbean, Trinidad, I guess, Trinidad and Tobago, probably. And we're listening to Bang a Gong, one of my favorite songs. Yeah, from T Rex. <laughs> yeah, and we're watching. Uh, this group of people partake in a threesome, and we later find out that one of them is Princess Margaret. Yes. There's a sneaky, shady character outside taking photos of these people having a threesome. And then we cut to London in 1971, where we're introduced to Terry, who's Jason Statham. And Terry Leather. It's such a cool name. Oh, is it Leather? <laughs> it's it's perfect. And, and, and now, we should say, this movie is based on a true story. I don't know how close... It is to that. Let's get into that before there were there was something in the in the end credits that said names have been changed to. So I don't know if Terry Leather is a real person, but obviously Princess Margaret's a real person. Yeah, there was a bank robbery in the early seventies in London where a bank was robbed two doors over from a leather goods store, and they did tunnel under a chicken place and rob a bunch okay. of money from the bank. This seems pretty accurate, then. I, yeah. I, I do know that the, the robbery was picked up on by a CB radio guy. And, yes, and that's true, too. Ham ham radio. So CB radio is like what truckers use. I don't know why I said that. but Yeah, yeah. So it's a ham radio. A guy was alerted to the robbery because of a ham radio. And the police did put the voices, like the recording of the voices, out on the radio. There is no truth to the Princess Margaret photographs, the Princess Margaret threesome. I'm sure she's had one. Well, maybe. that's that's what they say. I mean, yeah, <laughs> th- th- there were there were two main rumors circulating around the time is that one, there were photos of Princess Margaret in a safety deposit box there that the government was trying to get its hands on. And that also near the end of the movie, everybody gets immunity because they issue like a D notice on the whole affair, which means that these guys are protected from the press and the police force based on, like, national security. Mm -hmm. That's not true. All the people who were involved in the bank robbery were arrested and did go to jail. And then there was something else, I forget what. Oh, yeah, and then the guy who's played by Hercule Poirot, David Suchet. What? Mr. Vogel, the the, the porn king. Oh, that's a Hercule, that's from from the show? Okay. Yeah, 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 he plays Hercule Poirot. That guy did exist. His name was not Mr. Vogel. It was something else. But there was a Soho porn king who did claim at some point in the future that the police were or had their hands on some photographs of customers that he had taken or that he had somebody take in his whorehouses. So whether or not that's true, we don't really know. 
they just kind of like collected all the stories around this actual bank robbery that happened and then put it into one movie. Okay. Another thing I want to note, not um, necessarily about this being a true story, but there is a Sherlock episode that basically has this exact same plot. And I haven't seen Sherlock in forever, but it's the episode. Um, yeah, it's it's what's her face is has like a mistress thing, and she has like these photos that the government wants, and I think Sherlock has to steal them so that the government doesn't get them or something. Oh. It's it's like the exact same thing. Oh yeah, and it, isn't it called Baker Street Robbery or something? A scandal in Bill Gravy. I think that's the one. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, this is it's loosely based on a scandal in Bohemia. Yeah, well, so the actual robbery that took place in in the 70s, in 71, was called the Baker Street Robbery. Also, Michael X was a real person, by the way, too. Oh, yeah, 100%. I didn't and know as, that. as is the um, socialite model or so that gets killed on his watch. That's a true story. I mean, I don't know how accurate it is to the true story, but there was a model piling around with Michael X and company in the Caribbean, and then she wound up getting killed, and that's what Michael X was eventually hanged for or whatever. Oh, okay, yeah. So, spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah, historical background out of the way. Let's get back into this movie. So, yeah, so it's 71. We're in London. We're introduced to Jason Statham, Terry, and he was like a a minor thief, like like a petty criminal, but now he's trying to make it as like a car salesman and we see that he's having some financial troubles some gangster sends some goons to his shop and they break his cars like they're like bashing the windshield and stuff they're like you know bring us the money and he's like i'm trying you're destroying my cars they leave and then we're introduced to this woman named martine who's a friend of terry's she explains over drinks that she's heard from this guy that she's seeing the bank that this lloyd's bank on baker street is going to have its alarm system shut off for the weekend or something while they're doing some work isn't that it i don't i don't remember what she says for the setup but yeah i mean we see her she's arrested in customs and we know she's struck some kind of deal but she doesn't come clean with terry about that yeah so there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this movie in flashbacks just like what you said she is arrested at the airport for smuggling drugs and she strikes a deal with mi5 to help get back these photos of Princess Margaret in the safety deposit box in the Lloyds Bank on Baker Street. And this guy's like, if you can do that, you won't be arrested for, for drug smuggling. And she goes, great, I know some people who could help me with that. So that's when she approaches Terry. Nobody else knows about the plan except for MI5 and this woman, Martine. But Martine says to Terry, get a group of guys together. There's going to be lots of stuff to rob out of these safety deposit boxes. And the best part is, because most of the things that are in safety deposit boxes are, like, either there illegally or people don't want you to know what they own, nobody will ever report what exactly is missing. And that's, like, an interesting aspect to this plot, this robbery. I mean... Safety deposit boxes. The bank employees cannot even know what's in there. And I know a lot of people like keep passports and stuff in there. Like sometimes it's just like cash. I'm sure some people keep weird, weird, <laughs> weird stuff in there too. But that's like this, this movie kind of is, is all about people's worst instincts and, 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 um, <laughs> And, you know, a bunch of bunch of safety deposit boxes get robbed. I'm assuming not everyone's got weird kinky photos in there, but it's kind of, yeah. <laughs> there is kind of this, like, hey, you know, we, we can't really report what was stolen. 
they, it does say at the end the you know this is one of those classic based on a true story it says that literally on the opening title card <laughs> and, well no no but it, it has the classic based on a true story like telling you what happened historically and, mm-hmm. and it does say like you know most people didn't i don't remember the numbers exactly but most people never reported what was stolen yeah i, I kind of hope that that's true to be honest <laughs> well there's a lot of characters in this movie so the next character that we're introduced to is Michael X, who I guess we were introduced to. Yeah, he was the one taking the, the photos. Yeah. And he's got these photos of Princess Margaret. He's holding them hostage. It's in his safety deposit box in this bank. And also Michael X, he's, I mean, he models himself after Malcolm X, obviously. He is a black nationalist figure in Britain. He's got an awesome, like, Caribbean accent. Yeah, he's Trinidadian. He's a cool dude. I, I, I mean, he's a monster in this movie, and I don't know how accurate that. I mean, he did murder someone um, or have someone <laughs> murdered, but like, I don't know. I like that actor a lot. I, I wish there was actually more of him. It's Peter DeJersey, who I think is is he British? He is. I want to say there's something significant that I had seen him in. No, it doesn't look like it. Maybe it's the other. Maybe it's Hakeem Jamal I've seen in something. Yeah, the guy who plays Hakeem Jamal, who's an American, and he's like a writer who he wrote a book about his experiences with Malcolm X, and he's piling around with Michael X. He is played by Colin Salmon, who um, is in a number of the Bond movies as like an MI6 office guy. Oh, okay. Yeah, So, but I didn't recognize him because he's got like the beard and, you know, he's got the radical... 70s black guy look it's it's not and it's not what he has in the james bond movies so no no well michael x he's using these these photos of princess margaret as as a form of immunity so he's kind of doing yeah because he's like a drug runner well yeah he's trying to bring drugs into the uk but he's also like he's running like a like a like a like a sex like a sex trafficking operation like he's talking to the porn king of soho who we later meet that he's gonna send girls from trinidad and now this is this is also a little confusing because you basically have two groups that have illicit photographs in their safety deposit boxes. Yeah. <laughs> they are not the photos themselves are not related. No. The porn king guy, he takes photos of like uh, politicians, wars, you know, yeah, MPs. politicians who engage in BDSM activities and and uses that as well, I guess, one, he just offers the service. Two, he has the photos basically as a backup. I guess essentially the same reason Michael X has his photos is like if any pressure were to come on me from the government, I can just say, hey, Lord so-and-so, what do you think of these photos? How do you like them? And it's like, what? Yeah, yeah. And now this part is probably true, but also just like, what? If you're a freaking Lord or if you're an MP, how dumb do you have to be to go to a place like this like yeah listen i'm not a spoiled rich asshole so i don't i don't know the mindset here but i would assume photos of me are being taken if i go to one of those places well, 100 yeah why not have them at your estate well and that itself might be problem i mean if they have a wife oh that's that, true that could yeah, be problems too but i don't know yeah, well, this porn king of Soho, he is like the leader of this gang. So he makes pornos, he runs a whorehouse, he's taking photos, and he's kind of a bad guy. Oh, he's also paying off a bunch of cops in London. Yes. To kind of stay out of his whorehouses and, and leave his, his goons alone. Yes, and he's got like one cop 
pretty closely working with him. At least one. We only yeah. see one, I think. Two. Oh, but, do we? Okay. But there's that one guy who keeps coming back. Also, I, I mean, it should be said, but, you know, we, we haven't done a lot of British movies, British movies in this period. We know from Death Wish, from Dirty Harry, uh, movies like that, Shaft, that the 70s was the golden age of just porno theaters on every city street block. Mm-hmm. It appears to have been the case in London as well, not just in oh the God. U.S., so there I love so seeing much that. so much nudity. In, I wasn't expecting this amount of nudity in this movie. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, you just hear uh, the, bank, the bank job with Jason Statham, and you're thinking, okay, you know. Uh, it might be rated R, there might be an F-bomb or two, but it's like, yeah, this could probably be a PG-13 movie. It's not going to be super violent. And and it wasn't the violence that was the reason this is rated R. But one, <laughs> one thing I wanted to say, one thing I read in the IMDb trivia, there is one really, really interesting thing I want to bring up to you later that I don't know if you would have caught. But apparently director Roger Donaldson, who also directed Dante's Peak with Pierce Brosnan, I mm. don't really know what else he would have done certainly that i've seen but he said <laughs> the, the biggest pain in the ass in the entire movie was the scene in like the the brothel because you have women walking around naked serving drinks and stuff and the reason that was a problem was because they wanted full frontal nudity but like all of the women that they hired had completely shaved their pubes and oh yeah they need to wear a merkin that wasn't period accurate accurate no one did that in the 70s so they had to use a bunch of merkins and uh they were apparently slipping and sliding around in the heat and yeah it's (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that doesn't sound like a pleasant scene to film well that was the first thing i noticed about okay well i guess we should also point out that the head of mi5 he's he also goes to this brothel and he's also getting photos taken of him but yeah that was the first thing i noticed about this scene where like this MP sits down and she brings him a drink. I'm like, dude, that's a, that's a Merkin. Now that's a Merkin. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not, I, I think I'm better at spotting toupees than Merkins. So I, I didn't <laughs> notice that. Um, that didn't strike uh, me in, in the moment. Well then, okay. So I, there's one more character we have to introduce who's not really important to the story, but exists in the story. And it's this lady, I forget her name, but she is also working for MI5, and she's the one who dies at the end of the movie. She, she's she's Yeah, that's, Gail, that's Gail Benson, who was a real it. person. She yeah. was a daughter of an MP. She was like a, a model, a socialite. And, and I don't know if this part is true, that she was working undercover for MI5, but yeah, she definitely did date Hakeem Jamal and was brutally killed in the Caribbean. That part is all true. I don't know about the undercover stuff. To spoil it, at the end of the movie, that's essentially what the British government uses to... Take down uh, Michael X, which which makes sense because, I mean, I don't know British law as opposed to American law, but if they get all these photos and stuff, they're illegally seized. They they probably can't use those photos to prosecute Michael X. They also probably wouldn't want to. Yeah, because that would would bring everything to light. So they got to get him on something else. And thankfully, he makes a massive fuck up and murders this poor girl. So, you know, again, the plot is to rob the bank, steal everything. Statham and his group, he, he gets a group together of like his buddies and co-workers. Seth Green. <laughs> he, <laughs> yeah. One of his buddies looks so much like Seth Green. I know. Eh? You, you would think that's just British Seth Green. 
Yeah, I, I don't remember all their names. There's like Eddie. He eventually is this guy who's like watching from a rooftop across the street on a walkie-talkie. There's a Dave. Yeah, There's Dave. A, um... He's a he's a, a wannabe porn star. He's moonlighting as a porn star. He's got a big old pecker. He's just there to help dig a tunnel. I, it, they never confirm that he, that he, oh, maybe they do. Maybe they did, the model yeah. said at his funeral to say something like that. I was going to say, because that just becomes kind of a running joke. Yeah, he's on, uh, at one point in the movie, the porn king of Soho is watching one of his films and his like right-hand man goes, oh my God, is that thing real? Okay. <laughs> yeah, then there's a couple other characters. There's British Seth Green, who's like a photographer. Then there is, I think his name is Bombas. I don't know yes. what he is, but he... He digs tunnels. <laughs> yeah, he's he's just like a, a a criminal guy. Like they that's he's just someone they happen to know. The other guys Terry knows. I assume they're criminals too, but they're just his friends. Bombas not necessarily a friend, but you know Terry has some kind of criminal past. He knows this guy. Yeah, and, and then there's this guy named Guy Singer, and he's the he, classic con man. He's he's pretty cool. I like him a lot. <laughs> oh, he's great. He's he's great. I like. He's got him like a, lot. a super he, posh accent. Exactly. Yeah. And at the time when they run into him, he's running some kind of like high class fashion store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which you know he he doesn't he he did something to pull he pulled some strings to get that. Oh, absolutely. That's a hundred percent not his uh, main line of work. But anyway, so Statham gets all these guys together, and they've scoped out the bank and everything, and they've discovered where the vault is, and the plan is to rent out a closed leather goods store and dig a tunnel from under the store, under a neighboring chicken place, and then into the bank vault itself. But like the catch is they only have two days to do it over the weekend. Also, so the the part I wanted to point out to you that I have a feeling you didn't pick up on, but when Terry and Martine first go to the bank to kind of scout it out. You know, they go to her safety deposit box just so he can kind of see what's going on. She has like fake jewels or something she puts in mm-hmm. there. The guy who opens the safety deposit box or the the vault with them is Mick Jagger. Unrecognizable cameo. No, it isn't. But that, that is Mick Jagger. <laughs> yeah, he's in like <laughs> a lot of makeup. You would never recognize him. But it's funny that Mick Jagger's in this because Mick Jagger was at one point rumored to have had an affair with Princess Margaret. Um, so maybe oh. that's him in those photographs. I don't know. <laughs> oh. Well, also, you know who else makes a lot of appearances in this movie? <laughs> John Lennon. Yeah, John John Lennon is, is hanging out with Hakeem Jamal and um, Michael X, and so much so that there's a credited actor playing John Lennon. Yeah, there's like three separate scenes with him in it. No. Yeah, I don't know if he has like any lines, but there is a no. there, John Lennon is hanging around. He's in some of the photographs that they take, that they get from the safety deposit box as well. Well, they, these guys, they start digging their tunnel, and they got a jackhammer. Oh, I should also point out, so as they're excavating, MI5 is secretly watching them from across the street to make sure that the plan goes well. Yeah, and what's the name of the MI5 agent guy? Because he's one of the main characters. Oh, I I forget. Is that Tim? Tim Everett? I'm just looking at the Wikipedia cast. I think that's Tim. But yeah, he's he's the one. Now, he knows Martine. I think they worked in, like, the same building or something. He just kind of knows her. He knew her before she was arrested, so that's how he can kind of use this uh, i think they had like an affair at some point but i don't know exactly how it how it's their relationship started i think they just kind of knew each other they're still banging and he's sure roped her into doing this for him and mi5 refuses to take part they don't want to be seen they're the unseen hand of the government here speaking of banging also there's um <laughs> terry's got a wife and a couple of little kids 
Yeah. Terry's wife is really worried that Terry is having an affair with Martine when he, he sees them at, like, a they're talking at like a bar when they go to like some kind of party get together or something and terry is just like nah this isn't about that and and that she supposedly had some kind of relationship with one of his guys i think it was um seth green yeah which in in a moment of weakness for her i'm sure (laughs) yeah and and that's like there's a few lines about that and apparently they slept together like once but he is still kind of into her pining for her yeah at some point, like, Statham and her shack up, but we don't know if they bang, but they're definitely making out, right? I'm going to say they don't bang because they're in a, a, a bank vault at that point. Well, that'd be the best place to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we, I don't know where forensic evidence was at this time. So they start digging this tunnel, and I really like this scene. Yeah, they great escape it. It's the same kind of Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thing. And as they're digging under this this chicken place, the vibrations from the jackhammer are so violent that they're like shaking dishes off of this chicken place. They call the police. The police show up and they knock on the door and they have Guy answer the door because he's rather posh and he's the one who's rented out the leather store. Yeah. So the cop comes up and he uses the excuse. He's like, oh, well, we're just doing some renovations to the basement, extra storage room. And the cop, who's kind of like a shitty cop, really, doesn't even go into the basement. He walks into the store, stands at the top of the stairs. Jason Statham pokes his head around. He goes, yeah, we're just doing some work down here. Sorry. And the cop's like, okay. And then <laughs> and walks away. And then shortly after, there's another knock on the door, and they think the cops come back. But it's just like a guy bringing food to Dave. And, and so this is when they figure out, okay, we need a lookout. We need someone on the roof. Yes. And Terry gets someone who works for him at the car dealership. Who's this guy? Is this Eddie? Eddie, yeah. Eddie. Uh, I liked Eddie. He's, he's yeah, fun. I do, too. I like because this is the classic, like, oh, we need to get Eddie to, and then everyone's like, no, we're not splitting the money anymore. And it's like, listen, he's not getting anything from the safety deposit box, so we'll give, give him some money. Yeah. And so Eddie is night and day just on top of the roof looking out with no bathroom. Yeah. nothing he's he's no food he's just he has like the most miserable part of the job <laughs> yeah, but he's and, got a walkie-talkie obviously well and he and, keeps like overusing it and he's calling everybody by their names and Dave's yeah calling well everybody. He, he calls them by their names early and then they get him to stop doing that yeah and they give him a code name nightjar which is a pretty cool code name so yeah so he's sitting on this roof and he's looking out for shady characters or, or police or whoever Never notices the MI5 guys, like, right around the corner. No, which is, yeah, because they're, like, parked in an alley next to him. Like, I, I don't understand how he would never. Yeah, I don't know exactly where they are in relationship to him. But, I mean, it's feasible that they couldn't have been spotted. The radio chatter, though, is what is picked up by a ham radio enthusiast in his Ham house. radio operator, also known as a loser. <laughs> um who are these people who are these people that just hang around with ham radio what, what, what do they what do they bring to society Dude, well, i mean I this guy the almost foils the bank robbery so i'll give him some credit but well you know what the best part about this is in real life so in real life this guy does pick up chatter and he notifies the police he calls around because the police don't believe him when mm-hmm. it is confirmed that there is a bank robbery and the gang is arrested the british police try to charge this ham radio guy with illegally listening in on private calls <laughs> yeah but they, and, but they didn't but they considered that and apparently yeah. lloyd's bank paid him a bunch of money yeah like 2500 pounds it's like hey thanks for thanks for the effort the police really fucked this one up but you, yeah, you yeah did your best. <laughs> but yeah so this is going on behind the scenes this ham radio guy 
he's he's contacting the police because he can hear people talking about breaking into a bank. Yeah, the second you hear the word vault, it's like, okay, something something's going on. <laughs> yeah. Now, luckily for our Jason Statham gang, he accidentally falls into a crypt, into a plague crypt from like 1665. Yeah. And they don't have to dig the rest of the way because this crypt goes right under the bank vault. As they're breaking into into the vault, the ham radio operator hears this. The police finally believe him. They're asking the operator to record all of the chatter that's going on. But the problem is they don't know what bank they're breaking into. Yeah. So the story, it's not really confusing, but there's lots of things going on now. Because Martine is now in the bank, and she's double-checking that things are probably in there, her photos. Yeah. Deposit box 118 is the one she needs. That's Michael X's. Yeah. And by this point, Jason Statham is suspicious of her because he's walked in on her talking to this MI5 guy twice at two different bars. Mm-hmm. He thinks she's just kind of acting weird. You know, it's a weird plan to come up with for this specific bank and whatever. And it, well, it's it's one thing. It's like, OK, I know of a bank that we can easily rob. It's like, oh, that's great. But then when he sees her eyeing a specific deposit box, it's like, okay, there's some particular reason why we chose this bank. This isn't just, uh, I, you know, we can get in here. Yeah. And she claims it's her lucky number. But exactly, yeah. You know. yeah. So they're Who has a lucky open. number in the three digits? Lucky numbers are usually, it's like <laughs> One or single two digits. digits. Yeah, exactly. Maybe in the teens. Yeah, so they're breaking open all these uh, all these safety deposit boxes, and Martine's eyeing up this specific one. She gets Dave to bust it open. And kind of all, immediately, Jason Statham walks over and pulls out the photos. And he goes, oh my god, this is what we're doing here? Like, you fucking stupid bitch you know what we're, we're breaking into this bank so you can get some photos at this point they don't tell anybody else in the gang i also i could be wrong but i th- don't think that they say it's princess margaret they're just like oh my god you know who that is and i think it's like later that they that when seth green looks at him he's like that's princess margaret like but i oh, could I be thought, mistaken uh, yeah I, I think they said it earlier okay, in the movie went with the, the mi5 stuff they're like because princess margaret is rather I forget the word they used. I, th- I like, thought they said it was like child. someone in the royal family or something. I thought I thought they were, because I, I remember thinking for a while that they were kind of skirting around the issue for a while. They never, it, they seemed to avoid saying who it was for quite ah. quite a while. And I thought it was going to be like, because that's what they do in Sherlock. They never say who it is. Yeah, well, I I'll believe you then. Yeah. Now, at this point, the police are sending around cop cars like cruisers and and officers to like all these banks in a 10 mile radius or something like that from this ham radio operator's house they're checking every bank for signs of a break-in and then at the same time they they come up with like a secondary plan to send an ambulance around to every bank yeah just just to make noise to to, to yeah or the siren i think but then when they pull up in front of the bank that is being robbed they just turn the sirens off but anyways but that's the whole thing i'm getting ahead of myself here because as they're robbing the bank there is another close call where the bank manager does show up to the bank and let the police in and they walk down to the vault and there's like a door right in front of the vault and the manager goes well there's no signs of break in here and the cop says well open the vault let's see and he goes i can't it's on a a timer i can't open it until monday at like 8 a.m or whatever so for now the gang is safe and then the cop's secondary plan where the ambulance shows up, it rolls up right in front of the bank, and Eddie was about to fall into their trap. He was going to make a call about an ambulance showing up, but he accidentally knocked the walkie-talkie over the edge of the building that he's on, and it hits the ground and breaks. Mm-hmm. So he can't even call him about the ambulance. 
And I and I liked how this this all worked too because they're like oh 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 Eddie, Eddie you know they don't know what his name but the ham radio and the, the police guy they're like oh he he knows the cops are at whatever bank but they have cops at seven different banks at the time so they don't know they're they're waiting for like another yeah. clue and that's where the ambulance comes in if he's going to report there's an ambulance then they would know what it is, which bank specifically it is. Yes. Now, this is where the story kind of like ramps up and gets slightly confusing. So Statham, who had been wary of what's going on, and Martine. Suspicious. Yeah, thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. Suspicious. He calls and arranges another, like a guy to take their getaway van out of like this underground parking lot by the bank to have another van. Yeah. In case Martine's up to something. And mm-hmm. sure enough, the guy in this getaway van gets pulled over by MI5 and they search the back and nothing's in there. And they take a different van. And Martine, who's like, oh, oh, what's going on, Terry? (laughs) Why did you get a different van? (laughs) He's like, I'm on to you. And I don't know what's going on exactly, but I'm on to you. The gang gets to like this old chop shop that Terry used to run. And they start parting out all their spoils. And Guy leaves. And he's going to go to France or whatever the hell it is. And Bombas leaves. He's going to go back to Cyprus. So now you just have Dave, Seth Green, Statham, (laughs) and Martine. (laughs) This is when Statham goes, listen, Martine, what's up with these pictures? And this is when Martine comes clean. She goes, you know, MI5 wanted me to break into this bank, steal these pictures, but we're all going to get away with, you know, no issues, with immunity because we've helped the government out. And they're like, are you, you, you fucking believe yeah. that? Yeah. Really? Are like, you stupid? Obviously we're going to get arrested. <laughs> yeah. Statham's like, look, we're, we're going we're gonna to get screwed over here. How, how are we going to... Get away, you know, scot-free. Well, they find a bunch of other photos of MPs from Mr. Vogel's safety deposit. The porn king. And they're like, oh, well, we can use these. And Statham brings a couple of these MP sexy photos to Tim. Is that his name, right? Who goes back to MI5 and he hands the photos to his boss, who's one of the guys in the photos. And he's like, you know, they say if we don't let them go, they're going to slowly leak these to the press over time. So maybe we should cut a deal with these guys. Well, and, th- and this is also when it, it's kind of weird in the movie, but it, it's, it also exists for a specific reason. But like Bombas and what was the name of the con man? Guy. Guy. The con man guy. Yeah. Um, they, they just get <laughs> they just get killed. And I thought it was weird. Like, OK, who kills them? And it's like, oh. They never solved the murders. That's why they just randomly die because well, we have no, no historically it, we have no idea who killed these guys. No, 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 no. It was it was Vogel's gang, that, right? But that killed them. But but historic- they but they don't do any kind of detail on on like there's like Vogel's gang kills Dave. We know that for a fact. Well, Vogel himself actually kills him. I In think. terms of the movie. He discovers that Dave is one of the bank robbers, just on the, yeah. like on on a pure hunch, because he had seen him outside the bank that one day. Yeah, and, and Dave had said, "Oh, I used to, to work for you. I'd I'd been in a porno." And he goes, "Oh, okay." Then he finds all of Dave's associates, and the first two to be killed for whatever reason are Guy and Bombas. And yeah, then at the end of the movie, he says their murders were never solved, and presumably it's because you know the gang network or whatever, right? Yeah. So yeah, so they get killed pretty quickly, and you're like, what's happening? I don't know. But then Vogel steps back into the picture, and he's like, look, I need these fucking photos, you stupid assholes. Give me those these photos, and give me my ledger where I was keeping track of all the money I was paying off to all these crooked cops. 
Dave's captured and tortured with like a sandblasting gun or something. Oh yeah, Ooh, which this is like is a brutal. disgusting. Yeah, I, I, it's <laughs> I it, again, again going into this, you don't necessarily expect an R-rated movie at this point. We've seen a bunch of nudity, but you still don't think it's going to get brutally violent. But it, no, it does. Yeah, uh, yeah, I feel bad for him. Genuinely, like it's it's a, not a great torture. Yeah, so Vogel's trying to hunt down Statham and whoever's left. Yeah, and meanwhile, Tim, the MI5 guy, is wanting to hunt them down because he needs Martine. They do make contact with him, but they're like, yeah, we can't give you these photos unless we know that everyone is going to be safe. And MI5 is willing to make a deal, but they need these photos badly, right? Yeah. And then you now you also have like the normal cops, also hot on the trail of Statham and his group. You say normal cops, I think this is Scotland Yard. Oh, is it? Maybe this is the normal cops, but they do make a point of all the people he's paying off are Scotland Yard, or most of them, or whatever, because um, at the end it's like a year after this robbery, a bunch of crooked Scotland Yard guys were fired and maybe prosecuted. Yeah. Okay, so Scotland Yard are hot on the trail of Statham and his gang at this point, and it's all kind of confusing. Terry agrees, Statham agrees to meet up with Vogel at Paddington Station to, I I, I guess, like exchange the letter and photos, Mm -hmm. right? He also agrees to meet Tim. Well, he does, he does meet Tim at least once before this. Well, yeah, but, but, but Lord Mountbatten is coming to officially give them. He's like, I need, I will give you these photos, but I need immunity and I need like a high up government official to deliver me immunity. And they decide on Lord Mountbatten. Which is kind of cool. I like that. Yeah. And he's like, is Lord (laughs) Mountbatten high enough? He's like, oh, I should, I should sure think so or whatever. He's like, like, I'm just like Jason Statham in that like cool kind of monotone. Like I'm not, I'm not doing the british accent that he does but he's always he always kind of talks like this and i don't that was almost like a southern accent but he's always got that kind of raspy almost like yeah not super emotive but he's just again he's just cool <laughs> jason statham is, is a cool man so statham's waiting at at the train station and martine is talking to tim for a while and i guess vogel was supposed to like they were all supposed to show up at the same time so that the so that mi5 could arrest Vogel? Well, they they also planted, they had Seth Green go to the police with a page from the ledger, and he's they they specifically found the person who's like, who's in charge of this bank robbery, and they don't see his name in the ledger. They're they're like, okay, it appears he's not crooked, we can give him this information, and he would probably be interested in snatching up these crooked guys. Like, I I like that whole thing. And this cop is Roy, right? He's like a head of like a part of the force or something like he's yeah he's, he's, like he's, a, he's the he's, it's like in the dark night like how, um, how uh you know jim gordon is like the one not crooked cop that's kind of what he's portrayed as here but he's not a huge part of the movie but he's a huge part of this climax here yeah so i think it's so mi5's running a little late and statham is standing there and then vogel and his goons start approaching, but then I guess MI5 starts approaching at the same time, and Vogel goes, oh my god, it's a trap, let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> oh, and at this point, Vogel's holding Eddie hostage as well. Yeah, and at is... this point, Dave has already been killed, yeah, so been Dave killed. wasn't killed with that thing they were burning him with. He was just, like, lying on the floor, dying, and when they, they were in the <laughs> in, and when they were interrogating Eddie, and then eventually they shoot him in the head while they're on the phone with Jason Statham. And so Eddie's going to be next, but we've got this plan to save him, potentially. 
Yeah. And the plan kind of goes awry when Vogel starts running away because he sees MI5. But Statham makes the handoff of the Princess Margaret photos to Lord Mountbatten, who immediately opens it. <laughs> he looks at the photos and then he closes them. And, and they get like new passports and identities yeah. and immunity from the police and from the government. They walk away. And as soon as they turn, Statham just starts booking it <laughs> after mm-hmm. Vogel and his guys, who... I guess I should call him Poirot. I like that better. Poirot has a kidney stone, so he no, finds it hard to move. No, confusing me because I haven't seen no Poirot Vogel. Show, <laughs> Sorry, so. okay. Vogel is finding it hard to move because he's got a kidney stone. Statham catches up with him pretty quickly and he just starts beating the crap out of him outside in like this alleyway. And his goons try to like stop him, but Statham's like beating them up with bricks and stuff and taking them out at the knees. And Also, what, what alleyway is this? I don't, I'm, I'm not convinced there's any parking like this near Paddington Station, <laughs> but whatever. But this is like classic Statham stuff. He's just, he's turned into badass Statham. And yeah, should... this is, this is, I wouldn't say overall this is an action movie. This is like the one scene where it, it kind of goes action and Jason Statham gets to just beat up on people. And, you know, that's what he does as well as anyone. So this is great. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it goes on for like a, a fair amount. Like, yeah, probably a couple minutes, you know. But then it's interrupted by the police and the police just start arresting everybody. <laughs> Well, they start arresting the people you would think they would arrest, in this case the criminals, and in this case not the crooked cop who's with Vogel. Yes. Vogel yeah. is a victim, you know, in in, in appearances, and the yeah. crooked cop is just there. Yeah. Now, Kevin, that's the name of, of, of English uh, Seth, Seth Green. Green, he's already in a cop car. He's already been arrested. They throw Statham in, and then Tim comes over and says something to Roy Given, the name of the cop, and then Roy immediately comes over and releases... All of them. Eddie, Kevin, and Statham. Then he arrests Vogel and the crooked cop. And Statham gives him the ledger as well. Yes, obviously. correct. His, he's got like a little black bag laying on the ground and Tim picks it up, hands it to Statham and says like, and he goes, oh yeah, here's the ledger. Perfect. Great. This is all working out. Which is kind of nice because earlier in the movie, Tim was like, MI5 is not going to be involved in this at all. Like if you're going to get away from the cops, that has to be your problem. Mm-hmm. You know, then at the end of the movie, he kind of helps them, right? No, oh, he only helps them when he when he knows when he feels like they're going to win. Like he's, he's a very he's a fair weather MI five guy, right? Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, and at the, at this point, back in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. uh, we we cut back to Michael X every now and then. He's on the phone with Vogel when he because Vogel's the one who tells him about the bank robbery, and he's like, "If your box was in the one hundreds through four hundreds, it was stolen." And then Michael X catches the socialite looking through his place, like looking for backup photos, if, mm-hmm. if he has any. And he may or may not. We don't know. But then he ends up killing her. They Yeah, rather brutally beheading her. her. Well, we don't see her get beheaded. We see her dead body later. But yeah. A machete kill is never a fun kill. Unless you're in Friday the 13th. Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's it's going to be a fun kill next episode, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Yeah, so Gail's dead. The photos have been recovered by MI5. Statham, Martine, and Kevin all get away, totally free and clear. Eddie is given the car dealership by Statham. He's like, it's all been paid off. They're all yours now. Vogel's been arrested. The crooked cops have been arrested. And the last thing to do in the movie is the Trinidadian government sends in a bunch of cars. And MI five is there onto Malcolm X's or <laughs> Michael X's well, property. Well, I mean, I mean, yes, that's that's the big part. There is Dave's funeral where we kind of see. Oh yeah. There's some conclusion. We we skipped over a lot of the stuff with Terry's wife because honestly, it's not that interesting. No. 
but she kind of finally recognizes that Jason Statham is not into Martine. Yeah, that that's kind of all that is, other than a nice little send off for Dave. Yeah, including and... including a couple of porn stars at the funeral, yeah. <laughs> who said, "Oh, he was our favorite" or whatever. Yeah, I think they were like, "We knew him in a professional capacity." Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, the Trinidadian government and MI5 shoot onto Michael X's property and they arrest him and they find Gail's body in a grave that wasn't even covered with dirt. It, like her yeah. body was just laying there, and they burn down his house. And then, so as you kind of alluded to earlier, we have like these end credits. Every based on a true story movie does this, basically. It's, it's oh, this is what happened to this person. This is what happened to this person. This is how this story is still relevant today. This is what, what it affected. And it's like every every true story does, does this. I, that's why I love what they do in Animal House so much, because it's like making fun of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Senator <Yeah>. Blutarski. <laughs> well, yeah, so this is the part where they say, you know, Vogel's ledger had, you know, Scotland Yard in a tizzy. And they purged the police force because of all this corruption. A bunch of senior officers in MI5 resigned because of the brothel <laughs> and Vogel's taking of photos. Michael X is hanged in 75 for the murder of Gail Benson. Yeah. Oh, and then this is interesting. His file in the British National Archive remains classified until 2054. Mm-hmm. Vogel is sentenced to eight years in prison, which the real Vogel, I forget his name, the real porn king of Soho, did end up in prison for eight years. Hakeem Jamal is murdered in 73. Both the murders of, of Bombas and Guy Singer are never solved. Then they said the loot taken from the robbery consists of four point, or, or yeah, four million pounds, I guess, which is kind of neat. And I think on the radio, they had only said it was like a million pounds or half a million pounds or something. But yeah, so that's the end of the movie based loosely, very loosely based on a true story. But Michael X's stuff is classified till 2054. So it might be the exact story. We don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, you say loosely, very loosely. Uh, I'm not 100% sure we have enough information to say that. I mean, probably, because what the hell does a screenwriter know about classified British government information? But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, from from what you're telling me, and from from the little research that I did, it's like, you know, it, it takes liberties as, as any as any story would, but there's enough truth here. You know yeah. the robber or the robbery happened. Uh, Michael X was an Existed. asshole who murdered yeah. someone. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this stuff is all true. So, and there was corrupt police involvement. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know if I would say this is loosely based. I think this is a pretty typical true story that, you know, all true stories, all true story movies take liberties. And this one, a lot of the liberties might have been because that's those are the liberties they needed to take because a lot of this stuff is still classified. So. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. This is as this is as true a, a story I think as you were going to get from a thriller like this. I think. I think I agree with that. But Patrick, how'd you like the movie? I liked it quite a bit. This was just a very very entertaining movie. I said a while ago, and and this I had to do an entire new outro for the last episode because it just you know i don't know if we're relitigating that but originally we selected this movie and we selected a movie called fantasies directed by john derrick and starring <laughs> his later wife Bo derrick and you know it's fun to talk about what a creep john derrick is or was but would have been a bit more fun to talk about that if Bo derrick were un were of age in the film that they made together and apparently she wasn't so that's why we're not doing that but i did say this in the outro and i think it got cut so i stumbled upon this movie a long time ago when i was just kind of like researching 
Okay, who are the best action stars? This is this is when I really wanted to get into action movies. This might have been around the time I got my wisdom teeth pulled because I know that was when I saw a lot of the Arnold movies for the first time, movies like Commando and The Running Man. So this might have been around that time, but I'm like, okay, Jason Statham, big action star. What movies has he done that are good? And this at the time... <laughs> was his highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes. I don't know if it still is, but it was like 80%. So it's like a good score, but that's a, you know, for a an actor of note, that's a pretty weak highest yeah. rated movie, right? I mean, yeah. you know, you can't even get him in a supporting part in something that's in the 90s. I don't know. And, and you know, maybe that's changed since then. I don't know. Maybe the Meg 2 is like 97%. I don't know. But... <laughs> So I'm like, okay, this is a Jason Statham movie. I know Jason Statham. Uh, you know, I, I kind of like him. Let me see this. And I liked it, but it was not really an action movie. Hold on. By the way, the Meg 2 but... is 27% on Rotten Tomatoes. All right. That's, I mean, that's, I don't know what I expected, but um, yeah. No, um, I like this movie and I do like the Jason Statham persona. I think he's enjoyable even when the movies aren't that great, i.e. the Meg 2. Maybe, you know, he's probably still kind of enjoyable in that. He's, he's a classic hollywood tough guy or in this case london tough guy because this is a, well this is this is listed as a british american and australian movie so i guess it's, oh. there's hollywood involvement but no i like the movie the bank robbery plot itself is pretty good i like that it has all these ties to historical um you know the princess margaret stuff and then also like the police corruption like it's it's a deeper story than you would think, you know, on the surface level, like there's more moving pieces. And I think that's all that all makes it really entertaining, because if it were just a bank heist movie, it's like, yeah, you know, I mean, heist movies, it's not my favorite genre. And I usually think the heist movies that I really like, I like for reasons that don't necessarily involve the heist, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Ocean's Eleven, I think, is one of the greatest movies ever made. But that's awesome, because of just the cast, you know, you know, you get George Clooney, Brad Pitt, Matt Damon, Elliot Gould, I love in that movie. Like, everyone's just awesome in that movie. That's just a really, really fun, really entertaining movie. Ambulance, which we did last episode. Ugh, how dare you. I know, I know you didn't like it, but I liked it, and I did not like it for the bank robbery heist. I liked it for the drone shot action sequences, the car chases, the robbery itself wasn't the most interesting stuff in it. And that's kind of the case here, although I will say the bank robbery is more interesting than it is an ambulance, because there's more details as to like how the actual robbery works. But this felt a little kind of Goodfellas-y in, mm-hmm. in you see like the unraveling post robbery, which I, I like that, you know, when we see Bombas get killed and Guy and then all these all these things that are affected by the robbery, all these things that come into play. And that's interesting. It's, it's good for drama. There's not like, I wouldn't say there's like strong characters in this movie. I think the um, Jason Statham in the wife stuff is pretty lame. But I liked all the characters, you know, as for what they were. Most of the actors I was completely unfamiliar with aside from Statham, so it was kind of nice to see people who, at least to me, are fresh, and I thought everyone was pretty good. Yeah. I thought the, I thought the team was like a fun heist team. They're not like the most fun. Again, it's not Ocean's Eleven, but everyone, you know, they all had different personalities. They, they all brought something a little different to the table, and I like that. I like this movie. It's quite entertaining. It's not perfect. It's not one of the best movies ever. It may or may not be Jason Statham's best movie ever. That's not saying that much, maybe. But no, I I did like it. I would see this again. And I I appreciate it, too, that I don't know how to say this. 
but you you know I I like the sleazy '70s stuff, and I and I like that this movie didn't pull any punches in kind of depicting that. I thought this was again more so than I would have expected from a movie like this. It's just like yeah, this guy runs a sleazy porno business where he also takes pictures of MPs in compromising positions, and they mm-hmm. didn't shoot around that. They didn't shoot around Princess Margaret being a little slut with with a bunch of. <laughs> people in the caribbean um no they they like i mean i i i I joke obviously but no this i liked that this movie this movie yeah this movie did not pull punches it was direct in in what it was in in the crimes it was depicting and i thought that was refreshing especially because a sensitive story like this a true story a royal is involved like they easily could have done they could have done more like what sherlock did or they don't really Mm -hmm. detail who's involved but no they they did it and i thought they did that well jim what did you think of it i I pretty much have to agree with you on all your points i liked the characters possibly a little more than you did i don't know i i I just liked them you know i think they all played off each other well yeah i agree with that yeah i really enjoyed the character of vogel the porn king i okay probably half because he was hercule poirot for like 20 years okay also, just because I liked him, I liked how kind of sleazy he was, and I just, he was like an upscale sleazy kind of yeah. guy. Yeah, he's a British I mean? sleazy. It's not the same as American sleazy. <laughs> no, no, exactly, yeah. He was great. <laughs> I also, like, that I liked, like, little touches of how, you know, of having a guy play Lord Mountbatten. <laughs> you know? I like that guy, too. He had some kind of, I don't remember what his line was, but he had, like, kind of a joke when he saw the photos. He's just like, oh, these are rather compromising. He had some kind of line. Yeah, he was like, oh, he's like, oh, the princess, oh, his little devil or something. Yeah, yeah, it was something like that. (laughs) Statham was fine. I think Statham's pretty good in most movies. He's good. He's good. I don't don't want to sound, yeah, I don't want to sound negative. I mean, he's not the best actor in the world, but. (laughs) Yeah, that's for sure. But yeah, he's good here. he's, He's totally serviceable. And he's cool. He is. He's got that cool voice. That's he's got really the cool voice, it. the cool accent. He's wearing the the classic seventies kind of tweed coat, which always looks cool. Tweed with turtleneck. <laughs> yeah, a lot of turtleneck. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I just really like the plot. The heist was done well. It wasn't really like it wasn't the bank robbery portion of the movie was maybe like half of the movie itself, but it never felt like drawn out or unnecessarily elongated like some heist movies are you know where they're like oh we've got a real problem we can't get into like yeah i agree i i they didn't spend any more or less time on the heist than they should have they understood the heist is important enough to show all the details and all the kind of shifting stakes when when the ham radio operator gets involved Mm -hmm. and everything but they also understood that a great deal of what makes the story interesting is all the stuff that happens after yeah, and I think the movie also did a really good job of constantly introducing new issues or, or raising the stakes. Absolutely. There's even a scene, we, we glossed over Statham's wife, as you mentioned, but there's a scene where they start playing all the recorded audio from the walkie-talkie yeah, conversations one, on the one radio. one of the kids recognizes his uh, yeah, voice on the radio. Yeah, she's like, Mommy, Daddy's on the radio. And she's like, no, he isn't. And then she yeah. can hear him talking about robbing this, this bank. Uh, it's just stuff like And it's that, like Jason like. Statham, like the most recognizable voice yeah. ever. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I just really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a fun heist romp, I guess. Romp? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> it's a romp for Margaret. I don't know if it's a romp for anyone else. I also really like the the character of 
Michael X. And again, as we've already mentioned, he was great. That actor was awesome. I I actually wish we saw more of him. He wasn't a huge part of the movie. I mean, he's the story kind of revolves around him, but the actor itself, the character wasn't in the movie that much. And again, probably was in it as much as he needed to be. But I just thought he that actor, Peter DeJersey or whatever. I thought he was so entertaining. I would have liked to see him more. I agree. But yeah, I thought it was a great movie. Much better than Ambulance. A much better. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I could I could tell from your tone of voice that you like this more than Ambulance. I may have too, but I would at least consider them close. <laughs> well, to uh, to another movie that I've never seen. Well, Patrick. hang hang on, hang on. Yeah, yeah. Just one last note. The Mick Jagger cameo. You didn't even recognize him. I, no. I, I want to harp on this a little bit longer because it's such a fun cameo in that like you wouldn't even recognize him. And, and this movie came out the same year as Tropic Thunder, coincidentally. <laughs> and yeah. Tropic Thunder, everyone was talking about, oh, that Tom Cruise cameo. Like, And it's like, I wouldn't have even known it was him. And it's like, I haven't actually seen Tropic Thunder. I've seen a scene with him and i'm like yeah they put the makeup on him and it doesn't really look like tom cruise but it's clearly tom cruise in the performance and he i mean he's having fun he's doing stuff that tom cruise doesn't normally get to do when he's not on the oprah show jumping on couches but (laughs) everyone's talking about like oh yeah tom cruise one of the biggest movie stars ever he just has this random uncredited cameo and it's like well how about giving some love to mick jagger one of the biggest musicians ever who has this <laughs> random yeah, no, cameo where you wouldn't recognize him he looks like uh, mr incredible's boss in the incredibles the guy voiced by wallace sean he looks just like him yes yeah you're right <laughs> it's funny because I, yeah. I, I just watched the incredibles the other day all right so from beyond this is a movie that you said jim you had never seen before that is correct so this is essentially the same exact team that brought you Reanimator, which is a film that I know we've seen because we did a commentary track for it like a year, two years ago, available yep. on our Patreon. I love Reanimator. Reanimator is a classic. It's, it's So the, the team is Stuart Gordon is the director. Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs are two of the lead actors. And then you also have Brian Yuzna producing, Dennis Paoli doing the screenplay, I think, with Gordon. And then uh, it's it's based on a Lovecraft story. Of course, Herbert West Reanimator, one of Lovecraft's more famous stories, perhaps because the movie. I'm not really sure. Uh, Lovecraft is a bit of a blind spot for me. I know he, I know he was a genuine asshole, and I know, but I know people love his writing, and I don't really know if they love his writing or if they love his ideas. You know what I mean? Like uh, Philip K. Dick is is an example I go to. Philip K. Dick, if you read him, he was kind of a terrible prose writer but he had really awesome ideas and that's why he's well remembered that's why you have these classic movies based on his stories that's why you have blade runner and stuff like that i think lovecraft might be kind of like that but i can neither confirm nor deny that's just a suspicion i have i did read that his story from beyond it was not that well received when it came out there were people like oh it's just a lazy writing and stuff like that yeah but i that's in 1920 that's considered lazy writing it might be considered great writing now you know i i have the from beyond film wikipedia page pulled up and as you were talking i was i was confused i was trying to figure out what i was looking at the budget for the movie was four and a half million dollars apparently that's a high budget for like a charles band empire pictures release, yeah i think and the box office, it took in $1,261,000. Now, and, and I don't know says. this for a fact, but Reanimator was released unrated. I don't know if From Beyond would have gotten the same treatment. So Reanimator did really well for a movie of its kind. 
this movie might have been rated R. You know, I, I, I don't really see why it wouldn't have been. It's not as no, gory. Yeah. As reanimator, there's no full frontal nudity. At least I don't think. Not that I recall. There's no. nudity. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it's so it's the same team that brought your reanimator. There's also Charles Band, of course, executive producer. We've done a number of films that Charles Band has had involvement with in one way or another, and I just want to highlight. So we haven't done a full detailed discussion on on Charles Band, but. I don't know if I'd say I'm an expert in Charles Band, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say I've seen more films that Charles Band's done than over 99% of of the viewing public. Uh, And I've got some stats for you, actually, based on Letterboxd. So I've seen 20 films in which Charles Band has directed. Not a huge number, but, you know, a respectable number. He's He is my third most watched director behind only Spielberg and Hitchcock. So clearly, in the company of the greats, that's he's above Eastwood, he's above... John Carpenter, <laughs> yeah. So I, he's above Woody Allen. I'm just looking at some of the other names that I've seen a lot of movies by. I've seen 32 films Charles Band is producer on. That is tied for the second most. He's tied with Roger Corman. He's behind only Jason Blum, which actually surprised me. I didn't think I'd seen that many Blumhouse movies, but apparently I have. And executive producer Charles Band stands alone. 64 films I've seen in which he's been executive producer. Oh that is nine more than Harvey Weinstein, for instance. Wow. So yeah, I've seen a lot of Charles Band movies. This is one of the better ones. And I would say the same about Reanimator, except for Charles Band actually doesn't have a credit on that. He gets like a special thanks or something. But you would think that's because that's Empire Pictures. That's Richard Band doing the score. You'd think that's a Charles Band movie. Apparently it's not. From Beyond is, you get, once again, Richard Band doing the score, um, not ripping off Psycho in this case, yeah. but still, I felt a Bernard Herrmann influence on the music. Yeah, it was it was very, um, I guess, Psycho-esque, or re- Reanimator-esque. I, yeah, I don't know even Psycho-esque, just Bernard Herrmann. I, I felt a Bernard Herrmann influence, I don't know. It wasn't North by Northwest, maybe it was a little Twisted Nerve, maybe it was a little... Vertigo. I don't know. There, I, I felt, I felt the presence of Bernard Herrmann <laughs> from beyond, from beyond. In, in the, in the, uh, my pineal gland was, uh, was, was, Ew, was feeling some uh, Bernard no. Herrmann there. But yeah, so let's jump into the plot here. Every journey begins in the mind. <laughs> A flight of imagination. A vision of what might lie across the universe. Or within the deepest regions of the subconscious. So the movie opens with Crawford Tillingast. Tilling Tillingast, however you say that name. It's I'll just call him Crawford. Tillingast. Because that's a weird last name, and if, if you're wondering, oh, that sounds like it's like a name from like the 20s. It is. That's that is a name from the short story. But he is played by Jeffrey Combs, and he's messing around with the Resonator, which is this machine that we don't really know how it works for a while, but they get into detail. But he turns it on, and he sees these like floating eels, mm-hmm. and one of them attacks him. 
and then he shuts like, off the like machine. immediately. <laughs> yeah, he shuts off the machine and he goes to Doctor Pretorius, which is not a character from the story. It shouldn't come as a surprise because that's the name of the mad scientist in the Bride of Frankenstein. So clearly doing like a, a horror homagey thing. He tells Doctor Pretorius, "Hey, the resonator works. You want to see it?" And then Pretorius turns it on and is like immediately obsessed with what he's seeing, and he doesn't want it shut off. And then we kind of cut to a neighbor whose poodle wanders or his whose poodle escapes her house and goes into the Pretorius house which is an amazing model model from the outside it looks mm-hmm. awesome so she follows the poodle in there and then she sees an axe go through the door and Jeffrey Combs goes running out like a lunatic and then later on we see that there is a beheaded Dr. Pretorius so it appears that Jeffrey Combs would have axed this guy to the to the head and just chopped off his head we next catch up with jeffrey combs he's in a mental hospital he's in like a padded cell and barbara crampton playing dr Catherine mcmichaels is going to visit him she's working for like the da's office in some capacity they're basically trying to see if they can try him or if he's crazy yeah he tells her about this resonator thing and then it affects the pineal gland. And I like these scenes, these two talking to each other because it's like scientist to scientist. Like she <laughs> understands him more than the others around him. There's that witch of a lady uh, who's who's the doc, who's another doctor at that facility. Yeah, she's facility. just like, he's just crazy. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that, if I'm not mistaken, that's played, th- that woman is played by Stuart Gordon's wife. Carolyn Purdy Gordon is the actress's name and she plays Dr. Block. Which I assume also is another horror thing because Robert Block is the author of the book Psycho. I assume, like Pretorius, they were doing something there. But Catherine has the bright idea to let Jeffrey Combs out of this facility, take him back to the resonator and have him turn it on and thus prove his innocence. But, I mean, really she's interested in all that's going on with the pineal gland because they put him through like an MRI machine or a CAT scan or whatever, and they see that he has an overgrown pineal gland. And unfortunately, there is no way to say the word pineal without feeling something dirty. Like, it's just an (laughs) ugly, ugly word. But the pineal gland is a thing in your brain. Although it does take on some phallic imagery in this movie, I'll say. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like it would be. It just sounds nasty. It's like, Yeah, well, doesn't it have something to do with... With your sex drive? Is that it? I mean, that's kind of what they say in the movie, but I don't know if that's really the science here. Because I, I would also say this movie kind of depicts the when the pineal gland is stimulated, it almost has the effect of, like, drugs, too. You get oversexed. That's true in this movie. But you also just kind of get addicted, as we see with Catherine, and, and as we already kind of saw with Dr. Pretorius. So I will say it produces melatonin, a serotonin-derived hormone which modulates sleep patterns in both circadian and seasonal cycles. So it has nothing to do with sex, I guess. Well, which it they might kind of do say more than one does thing. This. But this movie, they try to make it sexy. <laughs> the Stuart Gordon movies I've seen are very, like, and this one more so than the others, but they're just very out there and very kind of... It's a bit like Clive Barker with Hellraiser, right? Yeah. The connection between, like, violence and sex or, or sex and horror. that that's Clive Barker's all about that. Stuart Gordon appears to be, too, definitely with this movie. And you see that a little bit in Reanimator, obviously, the famous scene of the head giving head, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I know there's other filmmakers that... Cronenberg uh, does that with a uh, video drum, for sure. Hmm. Yeah, anyways, so... 
Crawford is in the custody of Catherine, and they take him back to the Pretorius house, but they are joined by Bubba, a police officer played by Ken, I don't know if it's Forey or Foray, I've heard both, but he is, of course, a horror legend in his own right, just as Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton, probably most known for Dawn of the Dead. He's one of the main characters in the George Romero oh. movie. Yeah, he's he's awesome. He's he's awesome. He's just like a big giant dude, and he's like kind of funny, and he's just like a tough guy. And no, I like him in this movie. They go back, they turn on the resonator, and they all kind of see what happens. And in the, when the resonator's on, we get some interesting lighting, some like pink or maybe light purple lighting, like really kind of feels kind of like eighties Miami Vice ish kind of lighting, but. Yeah. Crawford tells them that when the resonator's on, don't move, because when you move, that's when these creatures realize you're there, and then they can attack. Bubba's the first one to find this out, because he moves and gets attacked by, like, a slug. Like a jellyfish with a mouth. Things. Oh, yeah, maybe it's something different. But then yeah. they also meet Dr. Pretorius. Dr. Pretorius arrives fully nude dripping in goo basically <laughs> so this i mean this is the is this dr pretorius is this like an otherworldly being that has possessed dr pretorius i i i don't know or is it dr pretorius who's just away from his body and he has this monster body now i, I it's yeah, a little yeah kind yeah, of like weird it, but is it his conscience that is in the in the beyond I, I... or or is it someone imitating him we don't really know but he like rips off his own face and they touch him and and his like body isn't doesn't have the consistency of a human body so yeah, it's like it's if like you player. touch him on the shoulder you had, you leave like finger marks indenting into his gooey body he's like just kind of rubbery Ugh, and it's it's disgusting it makes it gives me the creeps dude <laughs> and each time he shows up he looks completely different they do something with the extreme makeup and, and once again we're talking about returning cast and crew of reanimator this is john carl beekler doing the effects once again as he did in reanimator this has way better effects than reanimator i would say although there's still some goofiness and that's that's really the main difference between this and reanimator reanimator is a horror comedy and Mm -hmm. for what it's worth i think it's one of the best horror comedies from beyond is a serious horror movie. It's just a little funny because you get some giant rubber monsters and they're they're just kind of, you know, there's some silliness there with yeah that. But, I mean, this is playing it straight. To the point where there's actually, like, some disturbing and not intentionally funny scene, unlike the head-giving head. Yeah, I know, and the head-giving head is disturbing, too, but it's just, like, so over-the-top that there's, like, something weirdly funny about that. But you know me, I don't love... I don't tend to love horror comedies. I've brought this up on the podcast mm-hmm. before. And I think it was Joe Bob Briggs that said something about this. And, and I never thought of it this way, but I 100% agree with it. And he basically said that too often filmmakers will make a horror movie and then not be confident enough that the movie will actually scare people. So they kind of make it into a horror comedy. So it's like, oh, well, that didn't scare you. Oh, it doesn't. It, didn't, it wasn't supposed to. It's, it's just a comedy. And it's like... Yeah. <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but I think that's right. That and I like this movie's, for lack of a better term, confidence in just kind of going for it. Because, I mean, H.P. Lovecraft was not, to my knowledge anyways, a comedic writer. He's not Carl Reiner, <laughs> uh, speaking of Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's not Billy Wilder. He's not writing comedy. It's like He's writing disturbing stuff. And, and stuff. I mean, H.P. Lovecraft, it's cosmic horror is what... 
uh, he's kind of synonymous with. And, and From Beyond captures that in, in an interesting way where it's it's all about what we can't understand, what we can't see. And then when we get glimpses of this other world that we can't normally see, it's presented as being incredibly dangerous, but also weirdly appealing and kind of sexy in a way. And that's what ultimately yeah. draws people to it. And and from this point on, Crawford is pretty adamant about we just need to shut off this machine. It's it's nothing good can come of it. But Catherine and, and I get and I guess Bubba's on um, Crawford's side too. Mm-hmm. And then Catherine's like, hey, it's great that we proved you're not crazy, but we still have a lot more stuff we can do with this machine. And she kind of presents it as this is great scientific research on the pineal gland. Can we prove that everyone who's schizophrenic just has an overstimulated pineal gland? But she also has some other kind of like I don't think that's a hundred percent her obsession with this is is the sci- pure scientific. I do think she's just kind of drawn to this yeah. like a drug addict. And I, I think at this point in the movie, the dangers for a sane person totally outweigh the possible scientific discoveries because i think when when you're bit on the face by a fucking flying eel yeah and you're bit on the arm by a by a sci-fi jellyfish i think you realize oh this is dangerous yeah she hasn't actually she's the only one who hasn't been bitten by anything i guess I, i never thought of it that way yeah, and then and then even when you see a guy who's supposed to be dead and his body's Play-Doh and he rips his face off. Yeah, I that's like, that yeah, to me is. At this point, you're like, you know what? Yeah, let's not turn this machine on again and let's get yeah. out of here. But yeah. I, so I guess at this point, she's already hooked on this beyond drug. Yeah, no, I mean that's and, and I think this movie does a good job of showing her. I mean, she eventually does more and more weird things when the <laughs> when the um, whether or not the resonator is on she has this like weird thing and 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 so it's it shows that like even if you can't see the creatures you can only see the creatures when the resonator is on and eventually the resonator can turn itself on which is kind of weird and stupid but yeah even when the resonator is not on if you've been affected by it you have an overstimulated pineal gland you can still do weird stuff you can still eat someone's brain through their eye socket you can still get in a <laughs> sexy bdsm outfit and try to rape a uh, sleeping person i mean it's there's no rules here and i mean i say there's no rules it i mean there's no limit to how weird something can do in this movie but it's all there's there are rules to how it act. i mean there's there's no rules in terms of the resonator turns itself on like that's that's a little stupid but I, everything else i think is is fair and explained and you know set up i agree but yeah so at this point resonator's off the next time Catherine goes to turn it on herself she wakes up in the middle of the night turns it on dr pretorius is there to greet her and he's again more monstrous than before he pretty much just has a face and the rest is like rubber monster body and at this point i think he has the pineal gland extending from his forehead and the pineal gland is basically in in this movie anyways it's it's, it reminds me of like uh those what are those those fish that live way 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 in the deep um, that have like that lantern in front of their face it's kind of like that aren't they called lantern fish angler fish that's probably is that a thing and and it's appropriate those things look like freaking monsters too like those things look like they're not of this earth <laughs> and so so um if you're taking kind of from that to depict a truly monstrous creature I, I think that's great but it's also been set up that dr pretorius before he was 
<laughs> Before he was maybe sucked into this from beyond world or whatever, he was a pretty weird guy, a creepy guy, kinky guy. They find a video, well, they find he's got like a sex dungeon, and yeah. they also find like a video of him whipping or maybe being whipped by a woman. I think it's him whipping yeah, her. Yeah, it's him whipping a woman. It's Fifty Shades of Beyond. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Purple. Yeah. Or pink. I think it's more pink than purple, but yeah, and 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 it's hinted at with the Crawford character that the guy was impotent and that's why he was like so weird into this stuff because he couldn't get it up and maybe that's why he's drawn to this other world because this will allow him to explore his sexuality kind of unchecked in ways that he tried to but couldn't ultimately when he was alive on earth and i think that's all great because again the connection sex and horror and and just this disturbing implications but Catherine, when she turns on this resonator she's in like a nightgown but she's not in that for long because (laughs) this creepy Pretorius monster grabs her and just rips her clothes off and then the other two are alerted to something going on so they go and try to turn off the resonator but they can't and so then they go downstairs to the basement to disconnect the circuit breaker and then they're attacked by another monster down there who's just like this giant 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 worm yeah, kind of a, kind of like the Freddy Worm type thing from Nightmare on Elm Street 3, a bit or like, like a that. Like Worm from Dune, but smaller. Dune, yeah, yeah, much smaller. Or the or the the monster from um Tremors, you know? The the thing snatches up Crawford and like swallows him whole and Bubba does stab through the thing with a knife, but then he eventually just kind of pulls on the cords and disconnects the resonator and then the monsters disappear, so uh, Barbara Crampton is no longer in Pretorius's grasp. She puts her clothes back on. Whom, by the way, should, we should point out was being raped by some rather long fingers. Yes, that's true. Yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff like that. And then Jeffrey Combs drops to the ground, and he is bald and with no eyebrows all of a sudden. <laughs> he's just like, there's like no hair whatsoever on his body. Yeah, he's like it's lost his clothes. Like he's been like, like chemically burned or something all over his body. They never really get into detail as to, like, what happened here. But from here on out, Jeffrey Combs is not a normal person. He And, and it's actually kind of interesting because Jeffrey Combs and From Beyond, I think it's he gives a very different performance than he gives, or, or pardon me, in Reanimator. I think Jeffrey Combs gives a different performance in these two movies. He's still, like, over the top. But in From Beyond, he's this like uncaring monster. He's just he's the villain. And in mm-hmm. this movie, he's he's the kind of the, the sane one. He's the one that A understands this technology, this machine, and and B understands the consequences. Bubba understands the consequences, doesn't understand the science behind it. So he's I guess maybe less vocal. But yeah, but from here on out, Combs is uh, he his character's a little different. He's just asleep for a while. Mm-hmm. and Bubba is like, okay, we're all going to leave. Barbara Crampton still wants to experiment more with the machine, and he's like, hey, put some clothes on, and we're going to get out of here. And then, so she does put clothes on, but it's the BDSM outfit that she finds in the closet in Pretorius's sex dungeon, and, I mean, it's Barbara Crampton. She looks amazing, of course, but she gets on top <laughs> of a sleeping Jeffrey Combs and is probably about to rape him when Bubba reenters the room, and he's all like, what the hell? 
what the hell is this? Like, <laughs> he, he yeah, doesn't know he, what's going on. He, he's got kind of like a great character moment here where she sort of tries to seduce him and yeah. he turns her down and then turns her into like a mirror and he says, look at yourself. Is yes, you yes. Are? He goes, stop it. Put some actual and clothes then, on. And then she breaks down. And at one point, I don't remember if it's in this scene, but it says at one point, he's like, listen, I know you're a scientist, but you're not acting like a scientist. You're acting like those junkies on the street that I have to deal with every day. This isn't you. Then the resonator turns itself on again at one point. And again, they all go to turn it off. There's like bugs or flies or locusts or something that kind of cover up Combs and Crampton when, and then Bubba tries to turn it off. And then the, the, the flies all move to him and they just eat him. They like eat his torso. Like all that's left and is his arms. Kind of, yeah, his arms are like creepy skeleton arms. Like they, they, he's dead. But they must turn off the machine. I don't really remember how. Oh uh, no! Um, is this when Barbara Crampton sprays it with a fire extinguisher? Is. This yeah. yeah, this must be that. Bubba tries to sever the cord with an axe. Yeah. And he does cut it, but like there's just so much power running through it that it's just yeah. using the axe as like a conductor. Yeah, that that's neat. Yeah, so we next find, you know, Jeffrey Combs is taken back to the hospital and Barbara Crampton is given a stern talking to because it's like, listen, we were, you basically made him more crazy. You got, you got (laughs) someone killed and, you know, what's, and obviously no one believes her with the whole, like, no, you don't understand. You can see creatures from another world and no one believes her. And Dr. Block, again, Stuart Gordon's wife, she's like we're gonna just give you electroshock therapy we're gonna um <laughs> yeah, like i don't i don't want to deal with it and even the other people at the hospital are like wait can we do that and she's like yes we can <laughs> I'm, I'm doing that <laughs> and then meanwhile jeffrey combs is over in this other room and he just kind of gets free of his restraints and wanders into another room and is just eating a brain yeah yeah it's pretty disgusting (laughs) it's it's nasty and and dr black when she realizes he's missing is like oh shit and then she follows the blood trail and i like her line when she sees him like eating her brain she's just like crawford don't eat that (laughs) just like completely underselling that he is eating a brain (laughs) so she goes to take him back and there's like a little moment of crawford kind of coming through and he's like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, and, and and then the pineal gland is stimulated, and he sucks out her brain, Doctor Black's brain, through her eye socket. Oh my god, it's it's both disgusting and amazing at the same time. Yeah, and this is this is the first time we see it. It's enough to be like, oh my god. And then uh, <laughs> later on, so, so so Jeffrey Combs is trying to escape the hospital now. And so is Barbara Crampton. Barbara Crampton is actually able to free herself from her restraints when the other doctors and orderlies realize that Jeffrey Combs is missing. So Catherine gets free. Crawford, or what is left of Crawford, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever he is now. Mm-hmm. He wanders outside just as an ambulance is pulling in. And this is where you can really see the low budget of the movie it's like well one we, we have a small cast to begin with but then when the ambulance pulls up it's just like two people uh, i guess it's three people it's, it's, it's a drunk in the stretcher which i believe is played by albert band charles band's father who was oh, wow, a okay. low budget producer director himself he made like a really good movie in the 50s and that's the only movie i've seen him do but yeah albert band plays the drunk what do you mean plays okay well yeah who knows um <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the the two ambulance people and off screen Jeffrey Combs attacks one of them and then the other one goes to see what's going on and 
they see the dead body of the one and you see the eye is like dangling from the face and that's presumably where the brain has been taken from and then (laughs) Crawford does the same thing to the other woman and then he takes off in the ambulance and Catherine steals I think she steals Bubba's van the same van they had earlier I think so yeah and she follows it to Dr. Pretorius's house which I want to say a bit too on the nose earlier when when they first arrive at the house earlier oh, in the yeah. movie the address is 666 and yeah. it's like oh come on do we do we need to do this and then there's a street too the street benevolent. is like ben- yeah i was gonna say i think yeah. it's benevolent street it's yeah. like eh, it's eh, like okay you know i get it <laughs> it's a bit much but yeah she goes into the house where crawford already is and this is where it gets a little confusing but crawford is attacked by the pretorius monster who becomes like a bat and does the same thing to his head that it did to pretorius's head earlier which we we see like kind of like twists it off yes and supposedly there was no blood on pretorius's body probably the same here catherine at this point i should say i don't think we said this but she fully understands the danger she wants to shut this thing off she's no longer interested in seeing from beyond and seeing beyond <laughs> in, in in having her pineal gland stimulated in having weird kinky sex with a rubbery melty monster but the monster is attacking her and kind of keeping her from destroying the machine but then jeffrey combs with hair and eyebrows kind of climbs out of the monster yeah <laughs> and and so this is where it's like Okay, so I'm just thinking of what exactly happened here. Pretorius. Pretorius's worldly body was killed, and there's a Pretorius beyond, and that's probably not really Pretorius, or it's a part of his psyche or something, and it's taken some kind of physical form. With Jeffrey Combs, with Crawford, it almost seems like the opposite, that the bald, anglerfish-looking, eyebrow-free Crawford is the monster, and it looks like actual Crawford is beyond is stuck in this monster or maybe this is just after the monster kills this other crawford then that's when it emerges it's not a hundred percent clear which is fine also do we skip over the part where um she plants a bomb well no where she bites off crawford's pineal gland oh yeah that's right when when was that that's disgusting yeah i I think it's like pretty it's pretty soon after she shows up to the house and she's she's like i'm gonna destroy the machine and then crawford attacks her yeah and as oh yeah because crawford crawford chains her up yeah and she bites off his pineal gland and then she also escapes her chains by moving to get those floating eels to attack her and they kind of bite the chains off that's how that works yeah (laughs) but meanwhile she has placed a bomb on the resonator it's got a five minute countdown she's trying to tell crawford like hey we need to get out of here but you know when she's back up in the attic where the resonator is and she's attacked by the monster, who at this point is like, there's no real resemblance to Dr. Pretorius. It's just kind of a monster. There might be a Pretorius face, but the rest of it is just this gooey, mm-hmm. blobby mess. And this is when Pretorius, or rather Crawford, kind of rips through the monster and says, like, Catherine, run, get out of here. And so she jumps out the window in, like, the final seconds. Then the house blows up. Which is a pretty good little explosion. It is, yeah. And then the neighbors show up, including the lady with the poodle. And meanwhile, Barbara Crampton has broken her leg in the fall, and it's, like, disgusting. It's the exposed bone. It's a nasty yeah. makeup Oh, my effect. God, it is. <laughs> it really is. And then the neighbors are like, here, let's let's help you. And then she just kind of is laughing and crying like a maniac. 
And that is how From Beyond ends. Jim, your thoughts? It's a pretty good movie. I think I prefer Reanimator, but this is the first time I've seen this, and I had always heard that it was a pretty crazy movie, and I will say I enjoyed it. Yeah, that's uh, you. You've heard correctly if you've heard yeah. it's a pretty crazy movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, all the acting was on point. There was, you know, I was totally okay with all of it. But the real star is all of the effects, obviously. And some of them are goofy looking, but yes. you can kind of like skip past that and just be taken in by the disgustingness of the effects. Well, and you say some of them are goofy looking, and I agree. That's budget, I think. And, and mm-hmm. we've talked about John Carl Beekler of, of like the great horror makeup effects guy. For one reason or, or, or makeup effects guys, for one reason or another, we've done the most Beekler movies. We've done more Beekler movies. I don't think we've even done a Rick Baker movie. Done some Tom Savini, obviously. Beekler of that group. I think excelled in kind of the low budget realm compared to the others. Mm. And I think because he's operating in low budget films, there is goofiness to a lot of what he's doing, but the quality shines through, at least in this movie and maybe even in ghoulies. I mean, like there's good effects even when they're kind of goofy and it's a low budget movie and everything. Yeah, I agree. Better effects than Reanimator. Reanimator has some really cool effects, but then also some kind of terrible ones, like when the zombie's walking around holding his head. It's just, it's very obvious. <laughs> it's just yeah. someone sticking a, his head out through the waist. It's like some, some of re, some of the effects in Reanimator are bad, and that's kind of what makes it funny. I mean, Reanimator, yes. I do think, is kind of written as a comedy, but a lot of what makes it funny is just how absurd some of the effects are. Well, then, even, like, with From Beyond, that giant worm that swallows Crawford in the basement, yeah. like, that's amazing. I mean, there's a shot where the worm picks him up yeah. in the air, you know, and you're looking up at, like, this giant latex worm moving around, and you're like, holy shit, like, this looks terrifying and amazing. And they also do a really clever thing with this movie that I that probably helps the effects is most of the monsters are seen in like that purpley pink light but also it's almost like they've covered all the latex with like goo gloss or something yeah like goop yeah because because everything is is like wet and kind of shiny yeah and you're right that is the explicit purpose of that isn't necessarily to cover up seams and other kind of markings but maybe that is a side effect and 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 it, it works pretty well if that's the case yeah, and, and the whole mo- like all, all of those monster effects just make you feel uncomfortable because you don't want to even think about touching them. Well, yeah, and then there's, there's <laughs> like, it's just, uh, what I like about this movie, and, and Reanimator does this a bit, too, where the zombie guy, the college dean or whatever, is this creepy, sex-obsessed weirdo who wants to have sex with Barbara Crampton. That's what he was in life, too, when he was living. And I like that this mm-hmm. it's kind of just him as a zombie monster just kind of removes all inhibitions. That's very much what they do with Pretorius in this movie. Pretorius yeah. is depicted as a weirdo. Crawford has a line where he's like, he would bring beautiful women over, they would have nice wine, but then the nights would always end with screaming. And here, it's the same thing. It's he's doing all these weird things and then once he gets barbara crampton here it's like oh i gotta i gotta see what this is about and it's creepy it is actually disturbing i would say it's more disturbing than it is in reanimator even though reanimator the famous scene there's like a bit of humor there just because of the tone of the movie this scene this movie plays it a lot more straight and i think allows that to be more disturbing in its implications and then especially like 
the scene where he does essentially rape Barbara Crampton. That's just so, it's just disgusting to watch. One well, also, and this this is true also of, of Reanimator, but Barbara Crampton playing it completely straight. Mm-hmm. Her screaming and stuff in this, yeah, she does this when she's on the on the table in Reanimator. It's just like it sells you on how disgusting and disturbing that is. And, and I'm thinking the B movie Scream Queens, of which Barbara Crampton kind of is. She's a little bit higher class, I would say, than like a Linnea Quigley. But I'm picturing like a Linnea Quigley or a Brink Stevens in this kind of movie, and I don't think it works as well. I think Barbara Crampton, one Bar- Barbara Crampton's just great in this movie all the time, not just when she's being raped by a slug monster but you know when she's when she's playing psychiatrist who has a scientific interest and a growing scientific interest when she plays like borderline drug addict who's like obsessed with this thing and then also doing weird sexy bdsm stuff like she's great throughout the entire movie she really is yeah, and, and again, I, I think that's something else about this movie is that all the acting's on point by all the actors, no matter how big or small a role, they all feel either like real people or just, you know, great characters, really. Yeah, I, I um, largely agree. I think Combs is good, too. I don't think he's as good as Crampton. Ken Forey is ever reliable. But yeah, the, for me, it's the Barbara Crampton performance that really Sells. shines. Yeah. But yeah, so that's, that's my thoughts. Do you have anything else to add? probably a few things i like this movie a lot it is visually very interesting with the lighting and you said that the showing the monsters always in that lighting but also just the lighting itself there is something like appealing about that kind of pinkish glow that really hammers home like that there is something appealing about this otherworldly stuff even when there's weird eel monsters and jellyfish monsters and dr pretorius monsters trying to bite and or rape you there is something like there's and and what they do too with the um it's always very windy when the resonator is on and that's like just the flowing hair of barbara crampton and her flowing nightgown i think that just like looks really neat in the um the depiction of basically different dimensions I think that stuff's all really, really well done for what this movie is. And, you know, we should say what this movie is. It's a low, relatively low budget. It's an Empire Pictures film. This is the company that did Doll Man, or actually Doll Man might have been Full Moon. But what did Empire Pictures do? They did Ghoulies. They did Robot Jocks. They did <laughs> Reanimator. They did Trancers, which Trancers is awesome. But, like, this is this is in the running for best Empire Pictures movie. You know, that was Charles Band's company. At some point, it folded or was purchased by someone, and then he started Full Moon. Full Moon's like Puppet Master and stuff, so like Empire oh. Pictures has kind of laid the foundation for what later became Puppet Master, Doll Man, all the d- demonic toys, most of which are awful and not worth watching, but doesn't mean <laughs> I haven't watched them. But yeah, Empire Pictures, I, I will say just kind of broadly, Empire Pictures, as opposed to Full Moon Features, there's just more creativity in Empire Pictures. I think he just had better band had better filmmakers working for him they higher budgets because empire pictures i think were um these were at least some of them maybe most of them these were theatrical releases whereas full moon was the direct-to-video era so there's just a difference in quality in budget but yeah this is this is a wonderfully creative movie it does not shy away from disturbing implications sexually and and with violence and i and, and i like that this it's kind of like the um you know, this is based on Lovecraft, obviously, and in and, and this Lovecraft, the, from what I've read of the story, all the Pretorius stuff is new, and, and the story is basically there's an unnamed narrator who's talking to 
Crawford Tilling asked, and, and he turns on this resonator and he sees this like weird stuff going on, and then he eventually escapes, and Crawford is convicted of murder of like all of his servants that disappeared into the beyond. But I, I'm okay. also thinking there's, I mean, this is a lot deeper in some ways, at least than what I, that, well, certainly deeper than the summary, the, the crude summary of the story that I just <laughs> gave. But I, I'm going to compare this a little bit to The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde by Robert Louis Stevenson. That's, and that's a, that's a novella that I think in pop culture is misinterpreted or misremembered by a lot of people because I think the cultural understanding of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is Jekyll is this, doctor he's a scientist and then Hyde is just this like evil otherworldly monster that just like takes him over but like no the Stevenson makes it clear in the novella that Hyde is the embodiment of all of Jekyll's worst features it it is the same person it is an accentuation of the worst of Jekyll so so all of these things that Hyde does these are deep inside Jekyll and that's that's to me is what this movie does with with Pretorius. Pretorius, creepy weirdo in the real world. <laughs> he dies slash gets taken into the other world, and he is that, but more so. And and I think that's interesting. There's and, and again, that's kind of what they do with Reanimator with the college dean David Gale guy. But I, I just like that. I think that's good, interesting storytelling. And I think with Gordon, Combs, Crampton, Paoli, and Beekler, I just think they had the right people telling this story. Like, I, I think everything just works well. And, and obviously there's a chemistry built up between a lot of these people because they had worked with each other before. And there's certainly a trust, at least between Barbara Crampton and Stuart Gordon. Oh my to God, there would have to be do, a lot of trust. <laughs> yeah, to do such weird and disturbing scenes. This is more reanimator than it is from beyond, but there's like a fearlessness and a trust in the director from her that is amazing. And, and I think it, I mean, it makes for a very good movie. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. So all of this having been said, Jim, between the bank job and From Beyond, which of the two films do you prefer? You know, I think I'll go with the bank job, though I do like both of them a lot. But I kind of like a heist movie set in England in the 70s. Sure. Over a disgusting, rapey, otherworldly monster movie. Okay. But I, but yeah, I like I like both. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, it's, listen, this, from beyond isn't for everybody. <laughs> no, I'm not, but is. I like both. I think both are great movies. <laughs> How about you? I prefer from beyond, but it's relatively close. I think in a lot of ways, the bank job is a better movie. It's it's a, a more impressive production. It's a bigger cast. Like like from beyond is very. At no point in the film was I not aware that they were working with a small budget, but that's ultimately why I think it's so impressive that the film, even though you can tell that, is still very entertaining and and very well done. But, I mean, it's just like the tiny cast, like a couple sets, you know, it's it's, you kind of know what you're getting into. But I do prefer From Beyond just in general. I, I, I just, I like the acting more. I like the weird creativity it's a more unique film than The Bank Job, I suppose. Yeah, I agree. So how do you think this stacks up as a drive-in double feature? The Bank Job from Beyond. What do you think? I do like both movies, but I don't think it stacks up just because, <laughs> again, it's, it's mostly There's kinky about... sex in both, to be fair. There is. There you, is. you always, you know, these films on paper have nothing in common. They're different genres, different eras, different different budgets, but 
there's that weird kinky sex elements in both films. And there, and there is the fact that both movies aren't really pulling punches when they could be. That's true. That's a good point, too. But I would find it hard, Patrick, to sit in a theater and watch The Bank Job and then go straight to From Beyond. <laughs> you know what I mean? It would just be too much of like a, of a shift, too dramatic of a shift. Sure, Going from fair. kind of from interesting, or I, I should say fun, action-y bank heist that's kind of classy because it's or sounds classic because it's full of british people too yeah that's that's the full of british people they have the nice fashion yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's a sleazier movie than than all of that stuff would have you believe oh absolutely yeah but yeah, yeah. but then to go from that to early 80s sci-fi mid-80s. Horror. this is 1986 this is oh, like is the it? opposite oh, of early 80s okay. yeah, what are you talking mid-80s. about mid-80s sorry mid-80s sci-fi it's, it's, it's literally more than halfway through the decade Okay, listen, I thought it was 83. My apologies. But yeah, going to this movie that's about a sex fiend being reincarnated in another world and becoming a monster and continuing to be a sex fiend. Also creating a sex fiend and because Barbara Crampton is a sex fiend for a bit. That is true. Yeah, and, but I'm totally behind that part of the movie, I will say. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I mean, this is certainly a weird double feature. Let's, let's, I mean, there's no getting around that. I saw these two films back to back. It was a weird experience. I, I, I don't know how else to say it. Um, this, I, I don't really see it. Even though I like both movies, and maybe you could argue that that is the most important thing to a good double feature. Yeah, That's not the way true. I want to view it. I want to. I want these films to be a bit more orderly in, in how they relate to each other. And in, in, I always talk about one film complements the other, like what we don't get in the first movie, maybe we get that in the second movie. And there is a little bit of that. Yeah. We don't get rubber monsters in the first movie. And I, you know, I, we can always go with more rubber monsters, but <laughs> yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's, I mean, it's just weird to have like an out there cosmic horror type story after a true story. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> there's no mistake and from beyond is not based on a true story uh, oh, there's sure. some debate as to how much of the bank job is but yeah i i just don't see it unfortunately but like i said i'd liked both movies so i i will say that is kind of unfortunate for me because i do like both movies but they just don't sit well next to each other yeah it's all vibes the vibes are off this yeah. just it doesn't work yeah one feels kind of cool and hip and the other one feels slimy and gross yeah that's that's as good a point as any i think yeah all right so what we are doing next episode we are taking a week off because christmas is approaching of course happy holiday uh, yeah merry 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 christmas happy to all holiday. of you sex fiends out there but we've got <laughs> friday the 13th the final chapter so i mentioned the machetes machetes are coming back they're making a comeback <laughs> and we've got saw four so a couple fourth entries in long-running horror series wow that's gonna be fun we haven't done a friday the 13th movie since season two i think oh yeah i guess we've covered some, it's been uh, a while we yeah. did some commentary tracks we've done the first three movies in commentary tracks on patreon so that includes the third one which sucks um, but but yeah friday the 13th the final chapter arguably the best of the friday the 13th series and saw four i don't i i don't know what's considered the best of the saw series other than the first one and and maybe saw x now but yeah it's a saw movie i, I do know that a saw movie yeah so we hope you'll join us and in the meantime check out our youtube channel 
where we we post clips and stuff that of, of some of the episodes that we've done so if you want to consume our content in smaller doses that's a good spot for it and if you want to consume it in larger doses we have extended cuts of of all episodes moving forward and many in the past coming to our patreon where you can hear some jokes and things that get cut out all right we'll catch you later folks Take happy care. holidays everybody take absolutely. care absolutely